Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's edition of NOLA Matters here on 102.3 WHIV-FM. My name is AJ Strong. I am here today with my co-host, Dr. Mark Allen Derry. Hello, hello, hello. And our very special guest today, uh, local artist, performer, producer, extraordinaire, precious ephemera. Hello. Also known as AJ, but I'm AJ. <laughs> I am the primary, primary. AJ, so we're going to we're going to go with the precious ephemera persona today. Um, real quick, I'll do a station ID. Did you know that WHIV is a volunteer-driven community radio station? We are able to honor independent voices with your support. Stand for human rights and social justice by becoming a member of WHIV today. Monthly memberships are flexible. That could be $1, 5 10 $20 per month, whatever works for you. Or represent WHIV with a t-shirt, tank top, fanny pack, or more found on our online store. Go to WHIVFM.org and click support or store. Again, that is WHIVFM.org. Thank you for helping us honor independent voices and all wars. All right, so today... We haven't done this for a little while since we had Vincentus on, but this is going to be kind of like a, a local artist spotlight, and I couldn't think of anyone better than Precious Ephemera. Um, I met them, I guess it's been a few years ago now. Was it three years ago when you were in the workshop? Yeah, I think three three or four years. Could <laughs> be, yeah, yeah, it could be four, actually. But time moves, like, in one direction. You yes, know? very yeah. rapidly. <laughs> One direction, very fast. Um, uh, so thankfully yeah. for that, too. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go backwards. Right. So you had taken the um, New Orleans burlesque workshop, the Lego yeah. Virgin Beginner Burlesque Workshop with Bella Blue at the New Orleans School of Burlesque. Um, she had, I hadn't met you yet, but you were in the workshop and she said something like, wait until you meet you are going to love them and that i mean instantly i was like who is this unicorn if ever there were a unicorn roaming the earth it is precious ephemera um you're one of those people where the more i get to know you the the more it's like it's like an onion the layers <laughs> it smells Un- unravel it, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's more pleasant smelling, but yes, yeah, so many layers, so many things going on. Um, and not it, just because uh, Precious's name is AJ, right? Correct. So it's not just two AJs. That's like so if I, I meet another Mark Allen, I'll be like, I love you. You have the same <laughs> name as I do. Have you ever met another Mark Allen? Uh, a lot of people are named Mark and Allen, but I've never met. I, I think I've met one person whose actual first name was Mark Allen or somebody who told me that uh-huh. they had somebody in their life whose first name was Mark Allen, but hmm. not really. Certainly not spelled the same way, too. Right. But well, ours isn't spelled the same I way noticed, either. I noticed. I yeah. noticed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I met you about four years ago here in New Orleans. Prior, um, you were living in Chicago, correct? Yeah, I lived and in Chicago And you were performing years. there. Yeah, I performed in Chicago <clears throat> under the moniker Trandroid. That is so fitting. Yeah. <laughs> A gender ambivalent robot. Yep. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes... So, so many things make sense. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you mind if I ask why you stopped performing or identifying with Trandroid? Mm, I think there's a couple of reasons, but, um, you know, I, Trandroid actually started as uh, like a writing project. I was really interested in 
the concept of gender and representation. Um, and so with performance, I started doing, in essence, a burlesque, but I didn't necessarily um, understand what that was. Um, but the idea that like the trandroid as an entity could like switch hardware and then through the means of artificial intelligence, um, society would kind of decide what gender this person presented as, huh. right? By the way that it was interacting with people. Um, and so it got, at first it started as like sort of a, a data collection kind of thing, but it got really sort of messy uh, in terms. But <clears throat> to just like kind of dial back or put a, a point on it, um, what kind of upset me or what sort of was the impetus behind it was that the majority of robotics engineers who are designing robots that are most accurately human, the most like android, physically intelligent and kinesthetically excellent models are these pleasure models who are women. Um, so it was just like, ah, and it was like, what does the robot want to be? And then society decided that it was too hard. <laughs> too, too hard to process what you were yeah my deliver. processor wasn't ready for all <laughs> <laughs> the ways that was very clever people were when you said collect data what is what did you mean by collecting data well the idea originally was that like um that the trendroid would you know essentially like with artificial intelligence it's a matter of repetition so like if it's if something is asked the same question over and over again it becomes reinforced right so it became reinforced that trendroid a, more and more appeared as uh, with a like a female representation, yeah. That was like an ex a societal expectation of the robot. Wow! Um, and an angry person inside <laughs> the performance. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, that is. Uh, it, but it, you know, this may be my first of many cis white male gendered sort of dumb things that I say, but. Uh, which I'll be saying seven yeah. minutes in. I know, and I'm making my first one. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably be making three or four of them. I like uh, that there's today. a clock check. <laughs> ah, <Yeah. laughs> it, it's it's kind of I mean, just thinking about it from a meta perspective, it is kind of odd to assign gender to a robot. Y yes. Right. I yeah. mean, that is is that just humans humans who who feel so because we are so used to kind of a, having or having people identify as a gender or or superimposing a gender onto somebody else that's so deeply wired into our DNA that we do the same thing with robots. I, I Well, I think the thing about a robot that is so interesting and the fact that male robotics engineers are making these female sex bots is that they are literal objects. Right. Yeah. So wow. It's <laughs> that's a good point. It's like rage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and also, I, I will I will say my second uh, one right now. Uh, so Liana and I got my wife and I got a one of those little vacuum Roomba type things. Right. <laughs> we got one of those, and uh, we named it Jeeves, mm -hmm. and we refer to it as him, <laughs> which Jeeves, is kind yeah. of it's. And I just realized that this is the first time I've, I'm looking at the fact that we refer to our little. Little robot. robot yeah. uh, we called it Jeeves to obviously make a joke because we were having the the butler or whatever to do the cleaning sure. rather than, quote, unquote, the traditional female maid. But it is funny that we do – I do assign a pronoun to it. I never well, I occurred to me. Well, I would have called Rosie from the Jetsons because oh. she was the maid. Oh, was, mm -hmm. oh, was that Rosie? Is that the – Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've I've heard um, some folks that are in my in my social uh, network of um, physicians. Um, I've heard some of the names they have given theirs, and they are like horrific. <laughs> they have like like Latinx names, and oh, of just course, like yeah. stuff like that. Just sure. really, really horrific. Just racist. You know, mm-hmm. this, I'm not very popular amongst my uh, my colleagues. <laughs> that may come as a shock. <laughs> anyway, they're like, wait, you have a. M- Male presenting <laughs> right, right, robotic right, butler. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> I, I don't mean to keep moving the uh, the, the arms here. So yeah, that's right. it's yeah. Okay, so that was a little bit of what was going on in Chicago. And previously, um, you had mentioned that you actually started performing at the wee age of seventeen yeah. in. Detroit in Detroit Michigan okay can we go back there for a moment yeah it's um I spent a little bit of time uh in therapy back there sometimes so um but I uh I went to high school in a very rural area in Michigan I graduated with like 98 people um and so we would drive like an hour and a half to get into Detroit um just to like the very first gay bar I ever set foot in was called the Mailbox, M A L E box. If there's any Detroit listeners, they'll maybe know. Such a good name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous. And the drag queens there had like a like a, a contest where like women would make up their gay best friend in drag as fast as they could, mm. right? Um, and so I don't I don't think I ever entered that contest but I remember we would go like for that thing happening Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the people that I actually went to high school with uh, was uh, one of the performers in Detroit and pretty well known at the time and still now performs I think in Florida but she's Alexis Chanel Couture Mm. if she's listening Um, and so I became little Reno Scarlet Couture Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't know what the kids call it these days, but what I was at that time, we referred to as booger drag. So I was just like, I was like a little twink in a lot of Maybelline and just not very cute. (laughs) 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 But yeah, booger queens, that's what we call this. You you wouldn't be preferred to, now I I wear booger queen with pride, but it would be a pejorative at the time. Sure. (laughs) So were you out in any capacity at that time where you were in high school? Yeah. So my, I, my, yeah, my senior year of high school, I didn't live at home. Um, but I had a boyfriend in a neighboring town. Uh It was a little scandalous, but I definitely wasn't like public as far as being out. But, um, you know, my skin is gay. So sure. It was, I was visible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you started performing drag. Was there any other performance art type stuff going on? No, I mean, uh, I had done, like, show choir and things like this. Uh, I was in the regional show choir in Detroit. (laughs) It was called the Magic Company. Um, (laughs) And so I did a lot of jazz hands and box steps and things like that. Sure. Um, And then uh, I moved to Atlanta, which is where I kind of – I worked at Backstreet for a little while. Backstreet's now closed. Um, I used to do a 1 a.m. show there. Um, <laughs> and it was wow. just like pop music and like lots of drugs. It was very fun. Yeah. Um, I was like 19, 20 years old at uh, that were point. Were you doing drag or were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you, you weren't a booger. Was you I, got, a booger? I got slightly <laughs> less booger. Okay. But I would, would you call it a booger was <clears throat> A booger queen. Booger yeah. queen. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so you weren't a booger queen anymore then. You graduated was, from. Yeah. Uh, I was right. just maybe a little. Snotty. Like were you mu- mucus, <laughs> mucus queen or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> snotty queen? <laughs> 
Um, it really wasn't until I started performing in burlesque that like, I actually learned anything about beauty and makeup at all. And um, wh at what point was that? Like four years ago with Bella. Oh, okay. Yeah. So all of the makeup that I had learned was either like theater makeup. I wore like Ben Nye stuff or um, different things. But um, when I started performing in New Orleans under the burlesque genre, I was like, I'm going to need to be a prettier, you know? <laughs> Um, and so I asked Tara Cards if I could come sit mm. with her. And I Shout paid out her to Tara Cards. Yeah. And I was like, hey, will you uh, do my makeup real pretty? Like Katya. That's what I said. Well, you just show me how Katya does it. And she did. And yeah. Now I've been doing it the same exact way ever since. I, uh, I want to I wanna give another shout to Tara Cards because when I was in the New Orleans drag workshop, um, I was really struggling with makeup. And... I didn't want to cheat. You know, I live with Bella. I live with Bella Blue. <laughs> I could have very easily had her do my makeup for me, and, but I really wanted to learn it. Um, and I wanted to learn it not in a burlesque style, but in a drag style. And Tara Cards offered for me and several other people to come over. And we were there for, I think, like four hours. And she just... Um, like answered all of our questions showed us how to draw very specific lines taught us uh, it was an entire workshop just in her dining room <laughs> and that's actually how I was able to pull it together and do my makeup and I think I actually did a pretty good job I haven't done it since because it took me three hours but Tara Cards was the one that helped me pull through that and, and that was for when you did Vincentos, correct? And yeah. Did you went? Tara was in my cycle. We were. Oh, got it. We were drag sisters, right? Yeah. So, um, and then let me ask you this: uh, in in a in a previous lifetime, was makeup ever part of your life? Mm -mm. So it, it's kind of is it ironic or is it just coincidental that as you are now mm -hmm. that. You, you makeup was was is it was a part of your life or or doing something like that, whereas a, a previous uh, AJ that wasn't the case. Yeah, I I wouldn't. It wasn't the makeup part wasn't ironic. It, the makeup part was difficult. Um, what was <laughs> ironic is that I, for our listeners out there, I happened to be a transgender man, and I had very like recently prior to taking that workshop had had top surgery. Um, so I had a double mastectomy to get um, my breasts removed. And then I found myself in this workshop creating fake right. breasts out of like nylon, <laughs> like bird seed stuffed nylons. And I th that was a moment where I was like, what yeah. <laughs> am I actually doing right now? I just paid so much money to have yeah. these removed and now I'm stuffing them back in. I feel like a trendroid would really understand that yeah. dilemma. Yeah, and like, you know? you know, I just like went like as big as I possibly could. Oh, really? Could. Oh, you like yeah. over the top? Like. Right, yeah. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Very bizarre. So, okay. <laughs> so, tarot cards helped you get pretty. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess I was, I performed a little while in Atlanta, but for the most part, I'm, I moved to Chicago in 2003. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really where most of my performance work really happened. Mm -hmm. um, I went to DePaul for theater, um, and I found out very quickly that I wasn't super interested in having friends who were theater people. I used scare quotes here. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I was just like, what's happening? And so I, I knew that I wanted to like, uh, tell these stories. And I was, of course, like, as like any art school kid, I was like really interested in identity politics. Um, so I left a formal theater training program and was like, I'm just going to make weird deviant art. And Mm -hmm. so I would do these things, um, sometimes in galleries, sometimes in bars, um, where like, I would like slap myself with steaks or, <laughs> you know, to like Depeche Mode songs or like <laughs> just really sort of bizarre things. That well, I, like wooden steaks or meat steaks? No, like meat steaks. Like I would be like raw meat, you know, and I, for no reason, I made a lot of irreverent art. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I was, I was super poor. Yeah. <laughs> the end of that story. Um, but I, uh, I ended up meeting up with uh, Jill Ferencamp, who performs as Jildo. Uh, and she was part of a troupe called The Power of Cheer. And they were like this cheerleading clown troupe, essentially. Um, and so we got together and uh, I started working with the fabulous ladies of fitness. Because at this point I had become a yoga teacher and all of this. So we started this whole... Uh, thing. Well, I didn't start it. I joined it, but uh, where we were just teaching jazzercise on dance floors <laughs> in like nightclubs in Chicago. And like, that's when I was like, I think I want to take this art thing and like move it. I want to be where the people are, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see, want to see them dancing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I started to do more like interactive performance art because when I was doing drag stuff, you know, there was like slap fans and club kids and like all these sort of like look queens. Um, and I'd never really qualified for that. I was just sort of like a bizarre, strange weirdo who would lip sync. Um, and so I kind of feel like I fell into the groove. And so I created Trandroid. And then shortly thereafter, someone gave me a space in a bar. They were opening a new bar on the north side of Chicago. And they were like, will you do something here? So I created my first cabaret, which was called Shits and Giggles. Um, and I did Shits and Giggles for five years. Um, and then after that, I did uh, Nuts and Bolts. So it was Trandroid Presents Nuts and Bolts, which was a fashion event. Um, and now the caftan salon that I do every year is modeled after Nuts and Bolts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The caftan salon. I did. I missed the last one, but I'm looking forward to the next one. It's a flow flow event. <laughs> You're using a lot of words that I've not heard before. So oh, just... you want to have a? Do we, should we have a glossary moment? <laughs> yeah, that's, let's break it down for the cis. Right. <laughs> um, you just you said that you weren't you weren't to this, you weren't to that, you weren't to something else. That uh, what were the three things that when you were trying to describe? I think different iterations of drag oh yeah like a club kid there you go okay that was one yeah. of them um i don't know if i'm the most qualified to define what a club kid is i like it's one of those things like i know it when i see it yeah it's like a, it was like a uh mostly in new york right there was kind of yeah. based out of new york it was uh, like a sub culture of um y- the younger generation who was going out and partying in these clubs but they weren't just getting together with their friends in a bar, they would create an entire over-the-top look to These go to go looks. out. Extreme, yeah. yeah. Like, Hair, makeup, costume, shoes, everything. They'd just be to, these club creatures. Yeah. I think Marilyn Manson was really born of the club kid scene mm. um, in the 90s. It, it, and was it that sort of like... M- 
kind of gothic-y makeup or was it just everything all iterations of just anything dressed yeah. up or i think a lot of the gay club kids had like uh if you think of like delight like grooves in the heart right. like those kinds of like body suits and like right. oh i see those, okay i got yeah. you yeah, yeah but that like was with a like good... i don't know styrofoam heads like mm-hmm. vivacious or something like sure, that yeah yeah just these there was a, a really iconic club kid in chicago um who i think is still performing there's been a couple documentaries made about them but they go by jojo baby um, and then they had kind of like a, a following of like kids who had like uh, one kid named Bobby Pins, who I thought was always so creative. Um, but they were more, uh, I guess, fashion oriented. And then there were like classic drag queens, um, <clears throat> which at the time, I think trans women were performing as drag queens a lot more. Now drag has sort of sort of a mainstream appeal. Um and like we're just kind of seeing a lot more people um, exercising this creative outlet, uh, whereas before I think there was a lot of crossover between uh, like trans women and I don't know non-trans women drag queens. And then you also said something about flow flow. Oh, so a caftan is a multicultural garment, <laughs> um, but typically the caftan comes from lots of different cultures, but basically anywhere that it's hot. Right. I I, I grew up wearing one. You my family raised is from Morocco. Yeah. 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 So I and I hated wearing that because in the early 70s, if you had to go to school or when friends would come over and, you know, my dad would be wearing a caftan or, you know, or I would be, you know, I stopped wearing them, obviously, because the brutality of why are you wearing a dress oh, when yeah. you're like seven years old was like. So, you know, I have the same problem. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like in. I'm like, no wow, one saw in, me in, when in I was Michigan, wearing a dress right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, nobody. I stopped wearing uh, the caftans, but uh, I. So, do you guys? Uh, but we, you know, when we went to Morocco, we, uh, Liana bought a, a really beautiful one. I made sure that oh, we yeah. just because I really like seeing her in a caftan because it's well, culturally it's, it's a good it's part of my culture. It's a good thing to talk about because I think that there's a lot of conversations around um, cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, uh, specifically in fashion. Um, just the other day, like Bella and I had had a brief conversation about the kind of fashion turban. And like re- recently, a couple of years ago, Gucci was under fire for creating this like Sikh turban as like a runway look. Um, and the kaftan is questionable just because it has such a vast cultural cultural history. Um, so I'm considering, you know, creating um, the event, which is oriented towards people having this expression of fashion. The kaftan was easy because you can literally cut a hole in a sheet and walk down a runway. Um, so I'm thinking, I'm toying with the idea of uh, creating like a theme of like create an outfit out of X, Y, and Z. Oh, right. And nuts and bolts, we did one that was called Canadian Tuxedo, which I'm sure offends someone. Um, <laughs> but it was like these head to toe denim looks. Like I wish I had pictures. They were, <laughs> it was, people are so creative. And I, I think that's what I love about events is like getting people to, um, like show up in that way. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that I really love about living in new Orleans is that we don't very little coaxing, right. right. To get mm. folks into costume in that way. Yeah. People need a half a reason. Yeah. Not, yeah. I was going to yeah. say a quarter or yeah. an eighth of a reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they'll just show up that way. Yeah. yeah. Or they're already in costume just because it's like Wednesday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, Oh, I guess I'll go to that party. Yeah. <laughs> So when did you move to New Orleans? What year was that? That was the end of 2013. Okay. So and I, then a couple I, years after you started doing burlesque. Yeah. I started doing 
burlesque that would have been the, the fall of 2015 mm-hmm. so what is that does that make four years yeah yeah Whoa. Yep. A, little, a little over four years time yeah. keeps marching so there so there was a a you went from doing drag to doing burlesque yeah I mean, I was it, doing, I it, don't know, it, the Venn, weird performance. The Venn diagrams <laughs> overlap there. Yeah. I mean, help me again. Yeah, because help you, my were, you're, you were performing um, burlesque, but also, would you, ha- would you have considered that draglesque, what you were doing? Like, okay, yeah. that word makes sense to me. Draglesque. Okay, yeah, it's a that's, portmanteau. Yeah. A portmanteau. So you like Bradgelina. <laughs> it's like you just okay. shove the words together and make them one. <laughs> I, I had the look of like. <laughs> Mark Allen knows a lot about a lot of things, but he is out of his wheelhouse right oh, now. This is why cool. I do the show We're with AJ because I love, I learn so much. And I'm an HIV doctor, so <laughs> I presumably <laughs> am around a lot of stuff, but the what I learn here on this show is always, uh, I always yeah. learn new stuff. Dr. So. Mark Allendary. <laughs> um, so what's a flow flow? Right. <laughs> but you know, you have experience in the caftan. You know how exactly. Yeah, the caftan. I was like, that's the one thing that I can say I know about. And in the seventh grade, I had it was to, I had too to wear flowy. Oh too yeah, much it was, flow flow. oh, you had to, you had to chill yeah. your flow flow for a while, big time. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you wearing a dress? Uh, and I was stuttering at the time. You know, like it was just mm. a. I was a hot mess. I was the perfect person for young kids to pick on. Would you, know? you say that you were a booger? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You're a booger. A booger yeah, yeah, yeah. You were a booger queen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably a booger jester more than he. Yeah. <laughs> a booger joker. Yeah. That's sure. Good. Okay. Well, moving into present day, now you are still performing, yeah. and uh, I mean, you know, we hire you when whenever we can. So when I say we, I'm talking about myself and Bella Blue for. Um, various burlesque events we've had you at the dirty dime peep show we've had you recently start hosting at whiskey and rhinestones and every time we have you host there uh, we always get a text from um, the owner of the venue (laughs) and he's just raving about how much he loves you and how much he loves your emceeing style um, which i think is um has two parts one because you're very talented and two because he's really sick of hearing all of my dad jokes <laughs> because usually i host so when you're there he's like thrilled that he doesn't have to listen to that anymore aj do you do you know where the king keeps his armies i do <laughs> <laughs> do you know how to tell if uh your pepper's being nosy no because it's jalapeno business Ooh. Nice. Mark Allen, we need to have you uh, for bad jokes for ordinary folks. Is, uh, that, a, is that a show? That's a show. We, we, we've been trying to, we, we do, or we, we pit people telling bad jokes to one another oh, and I you like can't laugh. Oh, and, but once good. the laughing starts, it, it's, and it's, and everybody watching it. So you mm. tell bad jokes like that to one another. Yeah. That's wonderful. I want to participate in that. Yeah. Bad. Okay. We call bad jokes. Wait, do for, you know where the king keeps his armies? No. In his sleeveys. It takes them a second sometimes. We'll wait. His armies. <laughs> and his In sleeves. his sleeves. <laughs> 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 
the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you can't laugh though. That reminds me. We play uh, we play a game with makeup. I'm so very fun thing that I do. Uh, I am a member. I'm a founding member of the world's firstest and onlyest all drag improv troupe. Mm-hmm. It's called Makeup. Get That's it? very very clever. Yeah. yeah. So we play a game called Not Funny, where we have to like begin a scene that is very serious, like somebody has like a tax bill or something gentle like that. Um, but we just like have to try and keep the scene as serious as possible. And if anyone laughs, like we have to rotate the cast of characters. So if you get out, somebody has to come in and repeat the line that you just made. Mm. But sometimes it's impossible not to bite the joke. It's like this bait. It's dangling in yeah. front of you. It'd it's make so me good. blush. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, do you guys perform? Yeah, we're, um, we were. That's support- brilliant. We had a show be rescheduled so on we're our show's at the southern rep on sunday the 15th we'll do makeup cool the, yeah. this sunday this coming sunday oh yeah. so you guys do the in is in you that's one of the skits that you guys do is is not funny yeah and <laughs> we do another hilarious. one where like uh we all pretend to be like dating ads right it's uh-huh. called swipe right it's a fun one. Oh, and then the classic <laughs> improv uh trope of like sex with me that's a good one what is the uh like uh, you would get a suggestion from the audience about like, you know, if you were at work and you opened up your desk drawer, what would be the first thing that you would find? You can answer that question. Uh, a hard drive. So sex with me is like a hard drive. Uh, I haven't stuck it in since 1995. <laughs> right. So you have to just come up with a punchline to the sex and, with and it me goes is to like e- a hard And it goes drive. to each one of is the... As rapidly as you can. You can't uh, think too much. But yeah. yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I, yeah. I, I, I would love I to be... I could never... I'm, my brain does not process that fast, yeah. but I do enjoy <laughs> witnessing it. Imagine nine drag queens oh. Oh, this is no, 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 for no. the floppy disk, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> for the hard drive, yeah. It's <laughs> um, what time? I think it's at eight o'clock. I should know this. Yeah, usually Southern <laughs> Rep. Southern Rep usually just will, you know, will will read their. Um, I, I haven't been in touch with the their their person for a while. Yeah, it's on, honestly, Southern Rep is one of my favorite places to perform. I've done a show there um, with Gail King Kong called Mondays Are a Drag. Mm-hmm. Um, Gail King Kong is also just somebody I treasure, um, but and I love that show and I love that space. It's so good. They have a really great. Um, it's called the Lanyap Stage. Right in the front, it's marvelous. Right, they're in their new location. They've been there for about a year now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Should we do a, yeah. a quick station ID? Sure. Is there something else you want me to talk about for just this no, one again? No, you could just do just a general. Great. Okay. Did you know WHIV is a volunteer-driven community radio station? We are able to honor independent voices with your support. Stand for human rights and social justice by becoming a member of WHIV today. Monthly memberships are flexible. That could be $1, $5, 10 $20 per month, whatever works for you. Or represent WHIV with a T-shirt, tank top, fanny pack, and more found on our online store. Go to whivfm.org and click support or store. Again, that's whivfm.org. Thank you for helping us honor independent voices and all wars. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to today's edition of NOLA Matters. I'm AJ Strong here with my co-host, Dr. Mark Allendary. He's Hello. <laughs> I would be horrible at makeup. And our special <laughs> guest, Precious Ephemera. Local artist, producer, drag, 
so many boxes. Checks. I could go on <laughs> Stripper, and on. drag, clown. Stripper, drag, clown, yoga I'm going to learn trapeze. Are you going into aerial arts? I am doing it. Wow. It's very hard. You don't have anything else going on. You have plenty of time to focus on that. (laughs) It's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, so you talked about makeup. That's your drag improv Mm -hmm. thing that's going on at the Southern Rep Theater on Sunday, this Sunday, eight o'clock. What was the other thing you mentioned? Is there another show that you have coming up? No, I mean, I have yoga things coming up. Okay. I teach a, every year on Christmas Day, I teach uh, a yoga class dedicated to Annie Lennox to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Annie Lennox. <laughs> um, but this year will be the eighth annual Annie lennox And Really? Yeah. And do you just play Eurythmic songs or? Well, we have to do the greatest hits like in the cookie hour. So we have a cookie hour before class actually starts. And then there's like down tempo Eurythmics music that's appropriate for yoga. Because mm-hmm. um, like you can't, I mean, I, I mean, maybe someone can, but like I cannot teach yoga over like walking on broken glass. Like it's not going to happen. So we just make sure we get those in, in the, in the pre-party. And then we have the yoga mm-hmm. party with some of those obscure hits that super fans know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like me. <laughs> All right. Mark Allen, I, you like to do yoga. I love yoga. You should definitely yeah, take I, uh, class from I, I know. I, I want to know what the cookie hour is. <laughs> oh, so we just open the studio like an hour before class starts. So I, have, we... I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> and people bring Christmas cookies. Now, every, really everything okay. you say, Mark Allen's going to think it's some like obscure gay reference. <laughs> well, the Annie Lennox, that was right there. That like... Yeah. <laughs> that's, is Annie Lennox, like in all seriousness, is that like kind of like what... You know what somebody like Barbara Streisand may have been to kind of like a more of a (laughs) or more of what the boomer gay generation was is Annie Lennox a little bit more of what the Gen Xers are. I I guess I'm a I I like to say I'm Generation Y2K. Like, you know, like I came of age in the millennium. But um, like I often think like how much RAM could I free up in my mind if I could just forget all of the lyrics to every song from the musical Rent. Like, I could probably use that space for something, you know? Um, but I was maybe 10 years old the first time that I saw Annie Lennox No More I Love You's video. And so she's, like, this, like, demon queen thing, and she's surrounded by all of these, like, men in tutus on point. And I was like, there's a world for me out there, and I'm going to find it. Mm. And so, like, mm-hmm. you know, I get closer and closer every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold on, but you don't just teach one yoga class a year, though, do you? No, I teach okay. every every day that has a T in it, I teach at noon at Balance Yoga Wellness in Mid-City. Okay. So that's Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Got it. Got yeah. it. <laughs> well, uh. I um, can't sing your praises enough because I pretty much love everything you do. And um, yoga is that's something you're also very, very good at. You're a very good teacher. I know because I took some personalized. Um, Ooh, I had some sessions fancy. because, you know, I have this very bad shoulder injury. Right. right. Um, and so it's incredibly hard for me to do yoga because there's so much shoulder bearing stuff happening i i blow out my shoulder within the first five minutes and right. i can't continue and right. it's very frustrating um and it doesn't help me um and i had to deal with that too after yeah. i had my skateboarding accident mm. i uh i'm sure sh- i'm sure i tore uh a ligament or it, the uh my uh, my buddy who's an orthopedist said it was the labial the labrum the labrum right mm-hmm. it was the, the labial <laughs> jesus gosh the <laughs> labrum <laughs> 
I mean, not like, no, nobody like. Doctor Mark I'm the worst. <laughs> um, but uh, and then I was having a really hard time doing yoga, and I was I was guarding a lot. And then, yeah. like after about a year, in a year and a half, it slowly yeah. just kind of healed itself. Well, I've been developing a program, and it is a part of that. Like. Um, where I'm working with teachers who are currently teaching something that's happening in the yoga world right now is that, you know, studios, uh, offer these 200 hour teacher trainings, which are essential practice intensives for people. Um, and then we're kind of just churning out yoga teachers, you know, left and right. And it's not really a regulated, um, Oh, I know thing. So I, it can be really tricky. So I've been, I've been practicing yoga now. I don't know how long ago it was 2003 like 16 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over time, and I've worked with a couple of therapeutics people, what I've realized is like, um, you know, people learn how to teach yoga and then we have these sort of formatted classes. And it's pretty, it's not necessarily super great for someone to um, show up at a yoga class and like the general paradigm be that we have to like shove ourselves into these yoga poses. I think a really skillful teacher, or like a mindful practice, more looks like uh, addressing the body with the poses, right? So it's like figuring out what works for you um, just involves a little bit more individual attention. Um, and so I've, it's called yoga mat side, but basically I want to look at the bodies that are in front of me and find a practice that works for them instead of trying to get the people to do a prescribed practice. No, I think um, that's brilliant. Yeah. I, I think that seems like that's the essential that you would hope yeah. that, you know, when I go to, although I've stopped going to yoga and I am now doing yoga at home, I've like subscribed to what I've now realized are hundreds of these online and yeah. I've got one, it's brilliant. It's exactly what I need. And it's uh, because I have found there was two things. One is that I have found that, like you said, there was this unregulated, so you don't know what you're going to get. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and the second thing, and I don't mean to be offensive about this and this is something that AJ and I've talked a lot about on air. It's something that I refer to now as yoga babble. Yeah, so yeah. If there's a way that you can teach kind of out, kind of remove from people the need <laughs> yeah. to yoga babble and to say things that just are not true. Like all mental health is as a result of uh, mental health diseases are as a result of, uh, not doing yoga, you know, right. um, <laughs> when you twist, you detoxify your organs. I, there is like, it is s- such perfect stimulating immun- immunity. You know, it stimulates an immunity vaccines, you know, right, <laughs> like, right. I mean, like some of the things that I hear are just well, so it's, brutal it's so from the eyes of a doctor, <clears throat> you know, like Eastern science also has so much science right behind it. And like Ayurveda has a lot of really valuable things that come through, but you're right. There's a lot of yoga teachers who are just sort of parroting the things that they've heard. Yes. And they're not necessarily fact checking the truth. Absolutely. Um, And they don't, they feel kind of like, um, you know, powerless, I guess, in a sense, because they, uh, they want to show up and teach a good class. And so they're just sort of mimicking the classes that they've taken that works for them. That, that's like ex- my body is different than your body. Right. That's exactly yeah. what it seems like. I mean, the things that are saying are said are not. It, it is that they're parroting, and which is again why I have now just taken to doing yoga at home. Yeah. Just because it, there's no yoga babble, it's just basically it's just yoga. You know, it's just yeah. it's really good mindful practice, and of course, it's not the personal one on one. You know, it's somebody on, you know on a computer screen 
doing their well, thing, but the it's been very helpful. Side, I think it's really important to recognize is that people are living longer than we ever have. Right. So like something like, I mean, Ken Dickwell says that like, uh, over the age of 65, people are consuming like 48 hours of television a week, which is like a six day work week of TV. Right? People over the age of 65. Retirement are, age people and older are, are just consuming, consuming television. It's probably all of it is Fox too, probably. Sure. But like, <laughs> you know, I mean, like when we think about it, it's like we have this sort of mental idea that like once we retire that we're essentially useless, you know. So I really want to shift my demographic because like there's no shortage of yoga teachers for like 25-year-old white women who want to bend and stretch, right? Like you, it won't be hard to find. Um, but it is hard to find a class that's appropriate for somebody who's 45 years old and sort of like, you know, <clears throat> wanting to get into a place where they have a relationship with their body that's sustainable for a long period of time, you know. Yeah, that's actually a really good segue. We have uh, a little over 15 minutes left, and I don't want to end the show without talking about the work that you um, have started doing with the elders in our community and the queer community. Um, so that's a really great segue. Um, I don't know what's a good jumping off point to talk about that. I think I I knew that you were doing that. Um, we had discussed it over a brunch one time, and then I went and saw your show called Horse Feathers, which was lovely. <laughs> um, I really, really enjoyed that show. It was There were a lot of really cool performances, but there was also this really wonderful storytelling that was happening. It was like a thread through the whole show. Um, and it was deeply personal and vulnerable. And it was very cool to be sitting right there experiencing that. It just felt very raw and very real. I enjoyed it very much. Um, and you said something when you introduced the woman who was the singer. Her name escapes me. She was a, she sang on a guitar. Oh, guitar Judy Reagan. Yes, yeah, Judy. Judy Reagan. Um, you introduced her and you said you you said that you wanted to give thanks to all of the lesbian women um, from the time in which the AIDS epidemic first emerged for you thanked them for all of their support and carrying carrying us through the AIDS crisis. Yeah, I could cry uh, that like that's a that's. So much of our LBGT history is whitewashed and, like, given sort of a male gaze. Um, and we think about, like, the movements and, like, all of these things in LBGT history, um, like, being, like, so that gay men can get married one day. And, like, mm -hmm. now we've arrived and, like, poof, we're good, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, like, during the AIDS crisis, lesbian women were less susceptible to AIDS, but like in within our community, lesbian women were taking care of people as they were dying. And like, that's true. And like, uh, I just think that that deserves mentioning more, right? Some, yeah. Sometimes when we look over our history, we have so much tragedy, right? That like at the same time, we had these people who were willing to be by people who are essentially pariahs and people were afraid to touch them. People were afraid to be near them. They're excommunicated from their families. And like, I think that that, I don't know, that's just something that's really powerful and important to, that we, we need, we want to, I want to see that side of the story told more that women were showing up for us. Um, because I think in gay male culture, there's still a lot of rampant misogyny and like for by and large, they were saving our lives at that time, you mm -hmm. know? 
I had to, you know, we just uh, uh, unveiled, every year I unveil the AIDS quilt, uh, and we hang it at the CAC, uh, Contemporary Arts Center, uh, on close to World's AIDS Day, which is December 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this past year we did it. We do it the first Thursday of every, kind of the first week of December. And so, I, you know, every year I go back and I, and I uh, remind myself about the age quilt because I have to give a few minutes of a talk, you know, during the reception and stuff. And uh, I, I learned something new this year. I did not realize that. Um, so a guy named Cleve Jones was the first person to put uh, put a panel up. And um, I just forgot the name of that. I wish I did not forget his name. The first person named uh, on the on the uh, on the AIDS quilt. But. As soon as the quilt started to be uh, made and then ultimately maintained, it was from lesbian women. Mm. Uh, so, which I, and, and one person in particular that I'm actually going to try to get her to do an interview on, on WHIV to talk about her experiences with the quilt. But that, that's such a good point. And, you know, and just to also back that up, I know that a lot of the different, we don't see these anymore, fortunately, because our medications have gotten so good and we don't see people dying of, of AIDS anymore. But the early, if not early, even still to this day, but some of the homes where people used to go to die of, of HIV and particularly AIDS and the AIDS related complications, um, were women who were lesbians. So I, I 100% agree with you that, that women do have and uh, have come out uh, in, in the past to, to help, uh, especially during the HIV epidemic. So they were essentially like doing the hospice. Yes, that's exactly right. That's because no one else, you know, and mm-hmm. she would she tells the story. I was looking for various interviews that she's been on. And so I was listening to her give multiple interviews over the course of years that got put up on the Internet. So I was able to find them. And she would talk about how her and her girlfriends, friends, friends um, would go around uh, to the hospitals in San Francisco because nobody was visiting these men as they were dying, you know. And so, yeah, to a large degree, uh, uh, at least this group and then some of the other places, it was particularly hospice. Yeah. I just thought when you when we were at Horse Feathers and you and you said that it really it it just it kind of floored me as a person who used to identify as a lesbian and be a member of a lesbian community. And I'm no spring chicken. I'm, I'm 40. (laughs) Um, so thank you. And my generation of, of lesbian identified women, um, we weren't old enough to be a part of that, of that, wave of feminism and that movement during the the beginning of the AIDS crisis. Um, but we're old enough to, we're old enough to know. And I didn't know. So it just, and I, I don't know. I'm, I try to know as much stuff as I can and the fact that I didn't know really floored me the fact that I hadn't even thought about it I never asked um I it just it really blows my mind because it's such a important piece of that story that's not being told and so the work that you're doing just by standing on stage in front of a room full of people and just very openly saying that and having people let that set in for a moment and acknowledge that was uh very impactful i think it's what you're doing is super important 
So I would like to know also how you're, what else you're doing with the elders in the queer community. I know that you're trying to get in touch with more people. Yeah. Um, from time to time, people will try and put me in touch with various people who have some like oral histories, things like that. Um, when I first moved to New Orleans through just New Orleans circumstance, I ended up in the house of uh, Stuart Perry Butler, who is who lives in the Fairy Playhouse on Esplanade Avenue. Um, and ever since then, I spend my holidays with him. And so it was really interesting when we celebrated his like 88th birthday, there was like 50 people there. And I thought to myself, like when I'm 88 years old, like I want to have friends around and like, I'm not guaranteed in any way that like, I'm going to have children or anything like that. And I'm like, what does even retirement look like? You know? Um, and so I ju- it just made me think like, where are these elders? Like where, where, what are the, where are the organizations that are taking care of them? Where's elder care? Where's facilities? Um, and then my drag mother, world famous Bob, uh, was a big part of SAGE, which is the, I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's in New York. Um, and they have a center essentially. So like, um, I started talking with Jim Meadows at No Age. Yeah, I was going to say No Age is what this sounds like. The New Orleans uh, Advocates for GLBT Elders. And they have meetups and different sort of, um, what it's like, cultural competency trainings for uh, medical professionals, things like that. Um, But like in a dream world, like I would really love to see a big gay retirement home, you know. But I think the, the thing that's really tricky about this moment in time, interestingly enough, because like you and I are at a similar intersection, like uh, coming on the aftermath of AIDS, we were taught about death, destruction and abstinence only mm-hmm. sex education, like all of this kind of stuff surrounding that. But it's like the people who are retirement age and older now, essentially boomers, right, um, came from a cultural time where like pre uh, HIV and AIDS or during the this epidemic in the Reagan era where um, a lot of people aren't out or they're not necessarily comfortable um, talking about this aspect of their life. So they're just harder to find. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the people that we can find are older white gay men. And so learning more histories from women um, and trans people. Uh, and this is something that I was learning at the Burlesque Hall of Fame this year with uh, the work I was doing at the Sparkly Devil Memorial Scholarship is that the... Um, there were so many women of color in burlesque who have like such an important part of the history. And so it's like, it's not that these were the first women. It's not like Tony Elling was the first black woman in burlesque. She's the one that we were able to like obtain this history from because Mm. so many people were doing it. And so I think about that with our elders that like, I have a responsibility to kind of like open the door in both directions, um, being in the generation where I am, because like, I still remember the hardship of like pre smartphone life. (laughs) Um, and now we have means to like find people, but like AJ, you and I are the only people who can read a map if we need to go to like central Texas to like rescue, like, (laughs) you know, somebody. I think I could probably still navigate a card catalog if I had to. Yeah. The days of map. The Dewey decimal system you're saying? Wow. That's that's some old school stuff right there. (laughs) I think I could probably still read through a Sears catalog too. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good point, though. You're talking about bridging the gap. Yeah. Um, well, and that was one thing that Camille 2000 said before she died this year was like she 
learned a lot from having younger mentors. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think it's important for us to remember that like, while I'm looking for mentorship in my life, I'm looking to find the history of my people. I'm looking for my queer ancestry and all of this stuff. And I want to know it. I want to know it so that I can teach it at the same time. Like I have a responsibility to learn from the people who are digital natives and are expressing this like non-binary life and taking their non-binary partners to their high school prom and all of this stuff. Instead of being like kids these days don't understand, understand how good they've got it i'm like teach me show me how you do it this is amazing you know yeah that's incredible um those are you know i i've done this before uh with aj uh here and uh i would love to talk with you because i would love for you to do some of those oral histories on whiv oh yeah um and and uh that's something to to possibly talk about yeah um, two things I wanted to say real quickly is that Bobby Fleeser is a, is an author, a uh, gay historian here in New Orleans, and I've had him on several times, uh, and he kind of has done one of the one of the better, if not probably the best, historical evaluation of the Upstairs Lounge. Oh, and yeah. one of the things that he's been really focusing on now is looking at the um, the uh, the communities of color, queer culture, especially around that time, and the lingo that was used at the time. Uh, and the clubs that were visited in the French Quarter. And so somebody's doing stuff like that that's yeah. really looking at equity uh, <laughs> that is moving away from the gay white male perspective and really trying to understand what the what the communities of colors, uh, community of color here in New Orleans particularly, and what their experience was. So that was the first thing I was going to say. Second thing I was going to say is we were talking about homes where people uh, used to go and die for HIV. I'm on the board of directors of one of those places. It's called Belle Reve. But we actually kind of closed our, we changed our mission because there's no longer to house people living with HIV uh, because they're not dying anymore. And we're actually starting to create um, communities, uh, retirement communities for uh, queer aging individuals. Tell <laughs> so, me more. So, uh, so again, I, I, there's lots of, I would love to exchange information. And, and I think that, uh, um, I think you and I are, you know, <laughs> but AJ always brings in the, the best people. <laughs> I got to go meet my next guest. I'll let you guys kind of wrap up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably wrap it up. I think that's a wonderful idea, though, to have you back to tell some of these stories. Yeah. That would be that would be really fun and really important. That would be wonderful if you'd be into that. I'm in. I'm already into it. Great. I love it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, we should probably wrap it up. I just want to say thank you so much for being on the yeah. show, and thank you so much for just being being you. Yeah. Doing all the things that me. you do. <laughs> um, I admire you very much. Same. <laughs> All right. So uh, that concludes today's episode of NOLA Matters here on WHIV. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark Allendary, every second Monday of the month. Um, thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. They, they found some lyrics. And here's the interesting part. Uh, in the Woody Guthrie archive, a historian found some lyrics. Apparently, Woody Guthrie hated Donald Trump's father so bad that he, he wrote down some lyrics. Uh, he never recorded the song, but it was about how much he hated Trump's father. Now, <clears throat> there are no chords or anything, 
But I've got the lyrics, and I thought maybe I could strum them out in a style reminiscent of Woody Guthrie. Uh, but these are the original lyrics, and if Woody Guthrie had ever recorded it, maybe it would have sounded a little something like this. I suppose old man Trump knows just how much racial hate he stirred up in the blood pot of human hearts when he drove that color line here at his 1800 family project called Beach Haven. Maybe, like I say, it was a work in progress. Gets down to a little chorus here. No beach haven ain't my home, I just can't pay this rent. My money is down the drain and my soul is badly bent. Beach haven looks like heaven where no black ones come to roam. No, 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 old man Trump, old beach haven ain't my home. That's what Woody Guthrie wrote. It does not sound like he was much of a fan of Fred Trump. I mean, this is this is the, 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 the depths of moral bankruptcy and spiritual blackout that I'm talking about, you see. And, uh, um, and of course, Breitbart, what do they do? They put the Confederate flag up after these black people are killed and act as if somehow that's some disinterested, nonpartisan act. And we know the Confederacy is neo-Nazi in the core in terms of its hatred of black people and defense of slavery. So that, you know, we're, we're dealing in times in which we have to be very uh, clear. We have to have plain speech, frank speech, and we have to have people who are willing to put bodies on the line. This, this is the kind of moment in which we live. This is not a moment for the, uh, the lukewarm and the faint-hearted and the half-truths and the uh, attempts to rationalize something that they think is so complicated when it's very clear, and yet we have to do it in such a way that John Coltrane's love supreme is at the center. You've got to be full of rage because you hate the injustice, but you can't be hating people. You've got to hate the injustice and keep the love at the center. And that's very much what was wonderful about what you did in North Carolina. You were there because you've got a love for precious indigenous brothers and sisters. North Dakota. I mean, in, in North Dakota. In North Dakota. And the measure of American civilization has always been how do you treat indigenous brothers and sisters? Because slavery was not the first original sin of America. This is 102.3 WHIV LP FM in New Orleans. We are community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice. Please consider donating at whivfm.org. It's communities like ours that help to support progressive programming. At WHIV, we support ending all wars. Hi, this is Sam Price. I host Soul Shine Radio every Tuesday night from 10 to 12. I believe in WHIV's mission of radio programming dedicated to human rights and social justice, which is why I'm not just a DJ here at the station, I'm a member too. Join me. Become a member today by visiting whivfm.org and click donate. Thanks. Peace. 